It's Monday night, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, a show that mixes comics and politics. We're well, we're going to change it up a little bit tonight and uh, diving into more of a top-shelf world with a Jurassic Park twist. Uh, we've got two uh, creators behind the well, pretty awesome series from uh, Action Lab, Voracious, Marcus Nasso and Jason Murr. Um, and joining me uh, is a contributor to Graphic Policy, Alex. How you doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, so, all right. Well, before we get diving into questions, let me actually introduce the two creators that are joining us. Uh, Markison is part of the team behind Voracious. Uh, he's editor and publishing expert. He's managed revitalized national publications such as Knowledge Quest and School Library Research. Uh, he's offered more than 150 features in print and on the web, editing over a dozen books, including The Anatomy of Zern Arth. Arth- I always butcher that name. Uh, understanding <laughs> Grant Morrison's Batman Voyage and Noise <laughs> Warren Ellis and the Demise of Western Civilization. It's the crazy Batman with all the colors uh, for Sequart. Uh, Sequart. Quart organization, um, really cool organization. If anyone uh, wants to check it out, they do some really neat things when it comes to uh, uh, doing actually deeper dives into the creative world. Um, he also has his own podcast called Colloquium. And then Jason Muir is an artist, designer, letter for critically acclaimed comic book series Voracious. And he's also worked for Marvel at Valiant, co-created the short story Little Giants with Mark Wade for Thrillment, which is really cool digital. Uh, platform that folks should also check out. Uh, prior to en- uh, entering the art and design world, Jason spent six years in the retail side of the comic book market. I'm sure he's got some fun stories, and we can trade back and forth on those. Uh, as an assistant manager at the Graham Crackers Comics chain of Chicagoland Comic Shops. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah. Uh, so the first questions that I always kind of go with that I think really um, – great place to start for both of you is how did you actually both get into creating comics? Uh, Jason, you want to go first? Um, sure. Um, creating comics. Uh, I mean, I've always wanted to create comics. Uh, I mean, I always tried to create comics when I was a little kid, you know, draw, draw and write your own stuff. But, um, I got serious about it, uh, just a few years ago. Um, I was doing graphic design and I was kind of getting burnt out on it and I had always wanted to do comics. So I um, decided to go freelance and kind of devote a chunk of my day to seriously pursuing comics, getting better at drawing. And, um, you know, I just kept working on pages and eventually uh, I got into contact with Mark Son. Uh, we had known each other previously and uh, he was wanting to write comics and I was wanting to draw and he had pitched me an idea for a series and, that's kind of how we came together. That's how the book came together. And that's kind of how I started my comics career. Um, you know, it's not common that the first thing you really do gets published, but that's what happened to us. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> our book got published. Um, I've been doing that. And then, uh, over the last year or so, I've sort of been, uh, doing side jobs for, uh, other publishers too. Yeah. And I mean, for me, um, you know, I've been reading comic books since I was little, and um, always kind of want to write comics. I went to school for writing and I had started to write some comics and I had some friends that are artists that just never went anywhere. Um, So, you know, life gets in the way and you take a job on and um, you're not doing as many creative things. But then I went to Morrison Con a few years ago and it was the best uh, 
Comic-Con I've ever been to because it was very focused on the creators and creating comics. Con, I just I really got the bug to try something again, and so I just went through my notebooks and started working on ideas. And um, Jason and I, I mean, we came to comics together in a weird way because I'm from New York, but I moved here in 2000, Chicago area. Um, so the first thing I had to do was find a comic book shop, and I did. And Jason was working there at the time. And um, I had started writing some comics even back then, and there was a contest online for some website to do an authority story. So I wrote a story for the authority, and I gave it to Jason. Uh, I won the contest. I don't remember what website it was for. I gave the script to Jason to draw because I knew that he wanted to be a comic book illustrator. Um, And so he drew a couple pages, and then he went off to art school, and then I didn't see him for 12 years. Uh, and then fast forward 12 years later, a friend of ours was working on a comic book and he asked me to start writing it with him along with another friend and hard to have three writers in the book. And, um, so I left the project, uh, but Jason was still friends, uh, with Bobby who started this whole thing and he ran the comic book shop when I met Jason. So, uh, Bobby had sent some ideas to Jason to draw and he did sketches and I had seen those before I left that project. Um, And then after that whole thing fell apart, I just contacted Jason and said, hey, I have a bunch of ideas for comics. You know, why don't we get together, have lunch, and I'll pitch you some ideas. And um, so I did that, uh, pitched him a few ideas. And I had saved those original authority drawings that he had a long time ago and gave them back to Jason, who completely forgot that we even had worked on that together. Um, So that's how we started uh, working on Voracious. That's really cool. Uh, so did you have the idea for Voracious before you started working with Jason or did that kind of spin out of you talking? And like, where did you actually come up with the idea? Because it's, it, it's really interesting. And then there's like this twist at the end that I don't want, like, we're probably going to have to sort of give away at some point. Uh, but you know, we can okay. that for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you can say spoilers. Um, yeah, it's yeah. tough uh, with that spoiler because now we have the new issues out. So we have to yeah. talk about it to promote it, you know? <laughs> Um, Well, no, I had the idea before I talked to Jason about it. Uh, A long time ago, maybe like 10 years ago, I was at a party and a friend of mine asked me um, that age old question, if you could have any superhero power, what would it be? And so I said that I want the power to manipulate time and space. Because I figure if you have that power, you can do anything you want because you can go into the past and get a Viking launch ship. You can get uh, weapons from the past. You know, you can win the lottery. You can go into the future and get some snazzy technology. You know, maybe you can get an invisibility cloak or something cool like that or minions that you can create with 3D printers or something. And uh, so uh, while I was saying that, um, I also said that if I had that power, I would want to go back in time uh, to the time of the dinosaurs and make dinosaur damage. And so I just wrote that down in a notebook And then, you know, after Morrison Con, you know, years and years later, uh, I found that little note. And I said, I think I can make a series out of that. That's how it started. Did you have the whole idea kind of sketched out at that point? Or did this go like that that twist at the end? Was that something that you knew you wanted to do from the beginning? (laughs) 
Uh, yes. I mean, um, well, yes and no. When I went to meet Jason for that lunch, um, you know, I told him the basic premise. Uh, you know, chef travels back in time, kills dinosaurs, and serves them at a restaurant in the present. But then I also told him that there was this other twist in the book, this other hook in the book. And um, so Jason really liked that. But Jason and I worked on the entire world together, like fleshing it out. I had a lot of the pieces in place and characters and stuff. But, you know, Jason and I would meet and talk about, you know, what the world would look like, you know, uh, what, what the characters would be like. And uh, didn't suggest having a character like Starly in the book. So I ended up creating Starly. So um, we really worked on it together. It was very uh, collaborative, which is something that I wanted to do. And Jason wanted to. Nice. How often do you guys get together to chat about the series as it's going on? Do you, do you have everything planned out beyond the second series now, or do you see where the second series goes and then talk about it after? We chat pretty much, not, I wouldn't say daily, but <laughs> I'd say every couple of days. You know, even if it's not just about the book, it's, you know, marketing the book, promoting the book, doing something in the book. We live uh, fairly close to each other, about an hour apart. So we meet up from time to time. Um, and the book's definitely um, mapped out. We, we know how it ends. We know where we want to go after the second miniseries. So we, we're definitely, in, I wouldn't say constant contact, but almost pretty close to it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're like uh, work wives or something. We're <laughs> Yeah, we have the whole series mapped out. I've written an outline uh, for the whole thing. Um, so Jason knew where everything was going. But of course, when you start sitting down to write the actual issue, sometimes it changes. Um, some of the things that happened uh, in the first series and in the second series happened in different uh, points than what I had originally planned. Um, but uh, And we're planning to do three arcs of five issues for the main story. Uh, it's possible that it could split off and you could focus on something else after that, but the main story is going to be about 15 issues. So we're hoping to get, uh, you know, a lot of people reading this new one, Voracious Feeding Time, and then uh, we can get right into the third final act. For, for you, Jason, um, you know, obviously the comic deals with dinosaurs and traveling back in time. For you as an artist having to, to do that, I mean, are you doing like a lot of research to see what dinosaurs look like? Um, are there certain resources that you're using? Um, sure, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> With a, any kind of book that does not take place, uh, you know, somewhere outside your window, it's always tons of research. Um, with the dinosaurs, you know, when Mark Tom writes the script, he usually calls out specific dinosaurs for a specific scene. You know, and he'll provide images, and then, you know, I'll do the normal Google image search, search dinosaurs. I mean, there's definitely places I look to get better reference images, uh, and I just kind of compile, you know, a ton of images of that species and kind of uh, make my version of it, you know. But, um, and then there's other stuff, too, you know, without spoiling too much, the book gets into some sci-fi elements, you know, later down the line, and that sort of stuff is just, uh, you know, just looking at concept art and getting inspired by movies and just inventing things. So there's a ton of uh, work you do before you even sit down and draw, you know, panel one of page one. Yeah. I mean, I, and Jason does a lot of research and, and I do too, but all of the dinosaur 
stars in the first miniseries are set in the Cretaceous period. And then I uh, took it a step further and all the dinosaurs are in the Cretaceous, but they're also native to Utah, the Southwest area. So um, I kind of limited myself when I started writing it, but I just, I kind of wanted to do that because I thought it would be cool. So, you know, and then people get the real names of dinosaurs sometimes when Sasshole, uh, which is the, the computer inside the suit uh, identifies them. Um, but so, and then we really want to do like bright colors for the dinosaurs because science mm-hmm. is talking about how they're related to birds. So, uh, and Andre has been amazing with the, the colors on that because, uh, you know, we would send him photos of birds and say, we want the patterns to kind of look like this. And then he just pulls it off really, really well. Are you uh, are you two hearing from uh, dinosaur fans about the actual series and your t- t- depiction of them? Uh, yeah, we've gotten <laughs> we good. Bad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was interesting. Like I remember before the book even came out, there was a, a paleontologist who noticed that uh, you know we had a dinosaur in, in one of the previews, and she was like, "Well, I hope it's from this era. It's this kind of dinosaur." <laughs> So that was cool. And then there's another uh, kid who does a a podcast called Dino Times. It's all about dinosaurs. And uh, he found our book and he was really into it. So he's done several uh, video reviews of uh, the book, which is really cool. There was also a guy that had interviewed us for, um, was it the Salt Lake Tribune? Mm -hmm. He was a big dinosaur guy. And he actually had read a preview of issue four of the first miniseries. And he was really excited that we were putting a specific kind of dinosaur in it. But I think we had mislabeled the dinosaur or we got the, the species wrong. We were close, but we were slightly off. And I think he called us on it. Well, there's, it's a Therizinosaurus, but um, there was a, a different <laughs> uh, – of that species, there's different kinds. So the one in Utah was a specific one. So we ended up changing it because of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was just a simple text change. But – yeah, and that's how specific it can be. Like, we're not paleontologists. We're not scientists. So we're not going to get everything 100% accurate, but we try our best. Are you doing, like, a lot of research in that? Or are you just kind of like, eh, you know, we're going to look up dinosaurs here and there? I mean, like, how specific and right do you want to get as opposed to, like, we're just going to go have fun with this and, and try to get it somewhat right? Well, when I send Jason the stuff, I get very specific about which dinosaur is in the scene usually. And then Jason looks up images. And of course, you know, we don't know exactly what all these dinosaurs look like. We don't know the colors or even right. the, the complete structure of them. So Jason's going to take images and then do his interpretation of that, um, which is cool because, you know, there is not really a right way to do it. We don't know what color they are. You know, we don't really know everything. We don't know how many feathers they had on, for instance. Like, so some of our dinosaurs don't. Um, but that's just all up to Jason on how he wants to uh, visualize them for the reader. So, how much thought did you put into the actual time travel mechanic in the comic? Um, I thought a lot about the time travel thing. Um, I the time travel I really wanted to be limited. Um, because I've seen a lot of time travel books and then the characters can basically jump to wherever they want to. So that was the first thing that I wanted when I started writing the book. I, I just wanted it to go to one place and then back. I didn't want you to be able to go anywhere um, like Doctor Who, you know, because 
it just it doesn't seem as dangerous and also it didn't work with nate nate our lead character he suffered a big loss his sister dies in the beginning so if he could go to any time period uh he could just go back and get her and so i wanted that pain to be more real and um to really hurt nate because you know he has time but he can't go back and get her um so and then i just wanted the challenge of hey you know i wanted a medium for diving so we have water so he has to go and find that in order to uh, dive back which means he gets to explore um the world the world of the cretaceous and um so yeah i really thought about that and then in the next series you know i had to think about it even more i had to actually map out like how time uh works in it yeah our series definitely has its own specific rules about time travel that are you know just for our story um visually speaking you know i when mark's on he pitched me originally the idea of the uh the water as a vessel to travel through time and i thought that was cool i thought it was a something i hadn't seen before and then also the uh the added visual, the fact that Nate, um, his first time travel suit that he uses is made up of a, like an old 1920s steel dive suit. It's all like riveted together with, uh, you know, different pieces of metal that his uh, uncle had put together over the years. So it was like this rickety old timey time travel (laughs) device that has to go through water. I just thought it was something we had never seen before. Which Jason hated drawing, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the main reason we have a new suit. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, the second series, Nate gets a new suit, mainly because I bitched that I hated drawing the old suit. But it was funny, though, because we we do the new suit, and then I kept having flashbacks. (laughs) So Nate would be in the old suit. I was like, oh, and I kept telling Jason, oh, this is the last time you have to draw it. Whoops. Oh, you have to draw it one more time. Where did the actual, like, the mechanic of the, the water come from as far as the series? Because it is something really unique that we haven't seen for any time travel. Well, actually, you know, it came from a conversation that my wife and I had. Um, we were out having lunch, and I was just trying to work out the time mechanics and how it would dive. And uh, um, I think I was talking about a suit, and my wife's like, you should do a dive suit. Something where it plunges into the water or, or something like that. So that would be cool visually. I'm like, that's a great idea because I can use that like 1930s, 1920s deep sea dive suits because they just look cool and alien. Um, and plus, they just look like it would take a lot to learn how to use them and, and learn how they function. And that's something I wanted the challenge of, uh, of just going back to another time. Um, so, yeah, so she gets uh, some credit on there, and I'm sure she'll appreciate it. <laughs> uh, with the with the big with the you know playing around with time, I gotta imagine you you really have to kind of keep track of what's being changed and and how it might affect things. Or like, do you not have to do that as much considering that twist that is at the end of that first volume? Well, I think I have to do it more actually because uh, uh, I don't know. How I'm gonna explain it without giving it away. Um, I have to do it more because something happens and you, you don't know if it's permanent or not in the book. And so I had to work out how that affects the characters. And um, so I went back and forth on it because there's different ways to do it. There is no real rule for time travel. You've seen it a lot of different ways. There's just theories on it. 
Um, but the important thing, I think, is that if you pick one um, idea and then you follow through and just make sure it's consistent. So um, there wasn't really much to do with the dinosaur when Nate was just diving back to the Cretaceous period. He's just, he's just going there and back. And it was, you know, when he goes back to the Cretaceous, it picks up right where he left off. Um, so there wasn't much to think about, but, um, in the new series, there's more, more to do with it. Um, yeah, so, but I think I got it right. has almost zero consequences for the time travel. And that's the reason the second series is, uh, almost all exclusively about the consequences of time travel. Right. Yes. Yeah, it is. Um, with, um, yeah, we won't. We will. We'll hold off the spoilers for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> with the with the main character Nate in out of the series, um, you, he. I mean, he's a Native American background. You're dealing with his family a little bit and stuff like that. You know, was that? You know, was there a specific reason you went with with that background for a character? Because that's a, a ethnicity and and kind of a history and you know type of character you don't see often in comics. Right. Um, well, I knew because it was dinosaurs and uh, we we're going to do in the Cretaceous, I wanted to set it out in the Southwest. So, um, because that's where all the cool dinosaur fossils are. Um, and you don't see books out there hardly ever. Um, but because I'm a Brown man, I also wanted to have a Brown character in the book. I wanted a minority in the book. So um, my wife and I go to visit the Southwest a lot. Um, Albuquerque, Santa Fe, um, Utah. Uh, I love the Valley of the Gods in Utah. So I just, and I like the image out there. And I love the Native American culture. Uh, we recently went out there and we uh, took this cooking class with a Native American woman in a Pueblo. And it was just the two of us. I had to track her down and find her. And she only uh, grants some people access to this. And um, so I learned a lot about the culture out there. And I just, uh, I'm just fascinated by it. So it seemed to work perfect with what I wanted to do with the dinosaurs in the Southwest. Um, and also, you know, you just don't see Native Americans in that kind of role. It's always dances with wolves, the last of the Mohicans, you know, it's always focused on the Native American culture. And in our book, Nate is in every man, you know, he's like your friend. He just happens to be Native American. And um, I like that because, you know, Native Americans can be cooks, you know, they can be in a sci-fi romance love story. You know, you don't see it that much, but why can't they? And so that was something that, uh, you know, it didn't hit me right away when I was first working on the book, but Jeffrey uh, Vish did a variant cover for us, uh, which I love. It's a Happy Meal cover. And he mentioned that it was an important book for Native Americans. And just for that reason that, you know, Natives get to read it and see themselves in a different kind of adventure. And, uh, you know, I think that's important in comics because I am mixed race and I never felt like I couldn't do something. My parents always encouraged me to do whatever I could to try new things that I would never be limited uh, by the color of my skin or um, anything like that. So, uh, you know, both Jason and I are really proud to, uh, to have Nate as the lead character in the book. And, you know, our, our cast is pretty diverse, and a lot of that has to do with Jason. He's always pushing the uh, envelope to put, like, more diversity in the series. So 
So yeah. we try. Yeah, I mean, as a as a super boring white guy, I feel like it's important. <laughs> <laughs> as a super boring white guy, you have to represent. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so you know, kind of going on this because the thing that really strikes me, and you know, other than his grandmother, which you know makes sense. In, in some instance, you really are staying away from stereotypes for a Native American character that um, other characters seem to revel in, and I'm going not going to name specific specific ones. Um, you know, is that something you kind of you're aware of that you you don't you want it to be present, but not uh, not like a, a stereotype or just kind of falling into the traps that a lot of other creators do. I mean, like. You know, there's as always the characters of oh, there's you know he's the warrior going out and and fighting and wearing certain clothes and dressed you know that stereotypical way. Uh, but as you said, like he's a chef, he's an everyman. There's like it, there really isn't. It's just a part of who he is. It's not, you know, the the primary thing. Um, and no. I, I find that so like so different than what everyone else is doing. And it really does stick out for the series in, in a good way. Yeah, I mean, it, it's conscious and unconscious because, you know, I have a rich history, you know, uh, with my heritage, um, but I think about how I operate in the world. And, you know, I, I'm not beholden to all of these uh, traditions because um, yeah. my grandfather's Indonesian, so I'm a quarter Indonesian, and I've got Italian in me, um, I've got African American in me, so, and a mess of other stuff. So that's what I wanted, Nate. I wanted Nate to be somebody that you you cared about um, just because of who he is, not necessarily because he's got this, like, rich heritage as a Native American. Um, so, and it's like that with the, all the characters in the book uh, for me. Um, but, yeah, I'm conscious of it, you know, about the heritage. And you're going to see more of that in the second uh, miniseries. Um, and there's a reason why, you know, uh, I hold back a little bit on it as well. And you're, you're going to find out by the end of the uh, time. Interesting. Really interesting. Uh, with with you, Jason, are you like, is there anything for you that you're kind of looking at to to depict the character and kind of his world um, to tr- maybe try to get some things right here and there as to like small little details? Like the grandmothers, I'm really thinking of is that there's some, there's small details here and there. Uh, you know, nothing in particular. You know, uh, uh, when Mark was describing the character, you know, he said a lot of reference images, and I gathered a lot of reference images on my own. So I just try to pick out you know little little visuals. I mean, every character should be made up of you know uh, a bunch of little a little quirks and little visuals that uh, make them interesting. But um, you know, nothing overt. Um, just just something they're fun to look at, you know what I mean? So something about their history informs what they look like, or something about their culture informs what they look like. But again, doesn't define them. Uh, I mean, really, it's just trying to make, uh, I guess, fun, interesting characters that you want to watch. You know, move through that world, interact in that world, stuff like that. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think the only and then the only real specific I gave him for the direction was a uh, probably Nate's tattoo, the Dreamcatcher tattoo. Yeah, you know, I had cool little tattoo. notes. 
Yeah, I had little notes on what the characters should look like, but uh, you know, it morphed over time because, like I said, Jason and I were very collaborative on it. So when we were talking about characters, Jason would draw sketches for the characters, and I'd look at them, and then we, you know, we'd work on them before we even started um, doing the issues. Um, we worked on the characters and the places, and um, so Jason had character sheets, and then uh, you know, he did an entire map of the diner. Sarah's Fork and Fossil, so we'd know like where we are. Um, an entire map of the mountain um, sanctuary. Uh, so, you know, we worked on that stuff a lot. So it's interesting because if you see a script that somebody just writes for a new artist, they're probably going to describe all those characters and everything. But if you look at my scripts, mm-hmm. there is no description of any of the characters because Jason already knows them. He's already created them with me ahead of time. Yeah. That's actually really cool. It's like you said, yeah, that's sort like of a great uh, that's stuff that's helpful because, uh, again, so there's, you know, our book has a couple of very specific environments. The, the restaurant has a specific look to it. The, uh, the mountain house that uh, allows for Nate to travel through time has a very specific look for it. So it, it's always helpful to sit down and just kind of map that out. One, for the artist to, you know, be able to reference and also one for the writer so that, you know, when you're writing a script, you're not saying like, uh, he's in the kitchen, but he's able to see the door. And then you, you go back <laughs> to your thing and you're like, you know, you can't really see the door from the kitchen, stuff like that. So it cuts down on a lot of that back and forth where you're mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to make things work. Especially the laboratory, the way it's laid out. So uh, it's nice to have that. You even did a, didn't you do a 3D model of that as well, Jason? Yeah, I did a 3D model. Of the kitchen. pretty awesome. <laughs> Yeah, we're serious about this comic stuff. That's actually, it sounds awesome. Are are you going to put the 3D model anywhere in like any of the trades or online or stuff like that? I think so. uh, Yeah, I love putting in back matter material. Um, I think in the second miniseries, I think every issue has a little bit of back matter material. Um, So yeah, it'll probably make an appearance. Uh, I I love sharing that stuff. I love love it as a reader, so, you know. (laughs) Yeah, every issue is going to have back matter in it because uh, Action Lab's like, you know, we'll put ads in there, but if you have extra content that you want to use, you know, we probably can fit it in there. So we take advantage of it. You know, if if they have too many ads and it has to get cut, you know, that would be sad, but um, we'll fill uh, as many pages as we can with extras. Yeah, you had the recipes in the in the back of the first series, then. Right? Yes. Yep. Uh, well, we're continuing to do recipes. So every issue for people who haven't uh, read the book has a recipe in it and uh, it's a recipe with dinosaur meat, but then we tell you what the real meat is so you can make it. Uh, And actually the second issue uh, we feature a fans uh, made the first recipe. And so we feature the picture of that and she did some other cool stuff. So on the second issue, you get to see that. Um, But yeah, every single recipe uh, is either mine or a friend's recipe. I want to get some uh, restaurants to actually contribute to it. And uh, I've had, I've been close on a couple, but uh, they kind of flaked out, out on me. So we'll see if I can get some more uh, to commit to it. It's actually a really great idea. Um, where are you actually coming up with the recipes? You said they're yours, but like, how are you deciding which ones to put in? Or is there kind of like a theme that you're going with or... You're just like, yeah, this, is, this tastes good. 
Uh, you know, they're just usually my recipes that I've done over the years. You know, I, they gotta I have found meat. them somewhere. Well, it's got to have meat. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if people want to send a vegetarian recipe and they can, but uh, yeah, they've got to have meat. Um, no, it's it's really like, oh, we're getting close before the book comes out. I have to I have to put a recipe in there. What did I make in the last couple of weeks? And then uh, then I have to think of what dinosaur would go well with that one. <laughs> and um, usually it's a dinosaur from the actual issue. It doesn't have to be. You know, rules in the book are uh, the dinosaurs have to be from the Cretaceous, uh, from the Southwest, uh, except the covers. The covers can be any dinosaurs Jason wants to draw. And then once we get into uh, feeding time, the new book, you know, it's a free for all. So any time periods are, are fine, Jurassic, whatever you want. Just going back to the recipes for a second, have you, did you ever think about having Nate grab plant life and vegetation to include in his, uh, in his dishes in the diner, or is it just dinosaur meat? You know, uh, he just really focuses on the dinosaurs, um, but I guess he could be grabbing plants and stuff, but, you know, I try, uh, it could happen off panel, I guess. You know, you only have so much room. I, and I, I'm probably just going to concentrate on the dinosaur meat and not so much on uh, the ferns. Probably but, far more entertaining to see him fight a dinosaur <laughs> than a plant. And most of the time, you know, he's trying to escape. <laughs> so, uh, until Jim gets into the book and then things go a lot better. Um, but, you know, I think he's just trying to grab the meat. We have a lot of vegetables here uh, that he can get. So... Uh, but it's the meat that's something special for the recipes. Yeah, because yeah. if we didn't already talk about it, um, you know, one of the one of the things about the book is not only is he taking dinosaur meat from the past and cooking in his restaurant, but the dinosaur meat is delicious. It's it's the best meat anyone's ever had. That's really why he. I mean, it, it's a fun concept for a book, but the people are coming to the restaurant because the meat tastes amazing. Well, of course, so it's going to be good. Customers happy with that with that delicious dinosaur meat. Mm-hmm. The, the meat's going to be delicious. They're free range. They're organic. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're yeah. you know, actually <laughs> running around. Just like the beef of, of dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, uh, for people who are wondering, like, oh, doesn't anybody ask about it? Yeah. People ask about it. We don't put it in the book. But if I was to say, you, uh, it's dinosaur meat, are you going to believe me? Like, how are you? <laughs> They're going to prove it. You know, they're just going to eat it because it's delicious. Uh, and all, all the uh, menu items are just named after dinosaurs and stuff. So I actually do, I think we do a menu where we show the menu in an upcoming issue. Um, but Nate can, he doesn't even have to lie. He can just say it's dinosaur meat and no one's going to believe him. So it's pretty fun. Is there any point the health inspector shows, shows up? It's the one thing I've been wondering about. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, if somebody got sick or complained, but nobody has, <laughs> like they just love it so much. And uh, it's a small town too. So, right. you know, I purposely put it in a small town. So things in towns like that don't happen. Like you, you're not going to see a lot of inspectors or, <laughs> yeah. or all of that. It's not like being in a city, you know, where you have these right. like health code virus and you're out in the country. <sighs> So yeah, I think about this stuff all the time. Although I think when uh, when I first pitched Voracious to Jason, I think I had as part no, I of it, like did. it was part of the original pitch. 
but I'm like, I don't just don't need it. You know, yeah. just, I can cut that part out of it. So that's what I'm talking about. When things change when, when you first start with a comic book, you have all these different ideas and then, um, you know, you could write the outlines and you could write the story beats. And then when you start to sit down to write, things change and, um, you know, you realize you don't need all the things that uh, you thought you did in the beginning, which is cool. I like that because I'm very organized. I like to know uh, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Um, but the process of putting the comic book together, you know, it can be adventurous, you know. And uh, that's what I like. I kind of approach life that way, I think. You know, when I go on vacation, for example, I plan out the whole vacation in a spreadsheet like all the cool places to go, all the restaurants, everything on there, what time they're open. And I do it by day, even by hour sometimes. But then when I get there, if, if we feel like doing something else, then I can throw that out. But I just like to be prepared. You know, I like to be organized and spontaneous. And that's what's cool about comics too. Is there anything that you two could tell us that didn't make it into the series that might not, like ever be in the series that really changed? Hmm. That's a good question. Do we get the inside uh, scoop of what got thrown that we that could have been? Well, we actually did. Uh, well, you can think about this a little bit, Jason, but there's one thing I can say. We did an Ashcan version of the book a long time ago, a couple of years ago, um, black and white version of it. And it was longer. It was 48 pages. The first issue is yes, is double-sized, but it's really two issues put into one. So originally um, we had a 36-pager, and then I think it was like 22 or 24 for the second, and then Action Lab want to put them together as that double-sized issue. But even before that, the 36-pager was 48 pages. So we had a lot more material in there, and uh, we printed it ourselves and sold it at in here in Chicago. Um, and we used it to pitch to different companies as a black and white book. And we made 100 copies of it. And um, so there's a, there's a bunch of scenes in there that we cut or changed uh, because they just they weren't that great. I mean, Jason hated the artwork in that book. Well, Jason hates the artwork in the, old, in the first issue anyway. Like he loves what he's working on now. Um, but I was really wordy. And we did a lot of mistakes because we were new to comics. And uh, when you would open that ash can, the first thing you would see, I don't know if you guys remember, but the laboratory scene where Nate goes down there and uh, his uncle Tony has left the recording for him and is telling him about the mountain house and the suits. It was like five times as much dialogue in that. And it opened on the staple. So like when I pitched it, I forgot who I pitched it to. It might've been a first comics or something. They opened it to the spread and it's just all words everywhere. So if you're creating comic books, you got to be mindful of where the staple is. You open it, you want to be probably just artwork. Um, so we cut a lot of the dialogue. Um, Jason went back and redid a lot of the artwork in there. Um, we got a colorist. Um, we still have the ash cans and we, we did a Kickstarter and uh, offered those as, as some rewards. Um, but yeah, we don't really like that book too much, but it was good to do because we learned how to do a comic a little bit better. You go into it and you've, you've read all these comics. You think you know how to craft them perfectly. And then you start doing it and you realize that, you know, it takes a little bit more. 
And uh, so it was a good first pass. And I think, uh, you know, the final product is a lot better for it. Yeah. Um, in terms of stuff that was cut, I think the only thing that may be cut, you know, when we were first brainstorming the series, I think we sat down and thought of a million funny things that could happen in the restaurant. Like we were saying, I think health code inspector was one of them, things like that. But then as we were doing the series, we realized we needed to get to like the, the meat of the story faster. You know, all that stuff was, was funny. And if we could fit it in, we could fit it in. But, um, you know, there, there's a big ending in the first miniseries. And I think we uh, maybe halfway through the first miniseries realized we really wanted to escalate getting to that big moment quickly. So uh, anything that cut, got cut was probably just more gags. You know, I'm, I'm always pitching <laughs> gags. I'm always, I'm always saying like... Oh, yeah, they're horrible too. <laughs> <laughs> I always want mishaps, uh, you know, with killing dinosaurs, anything can happen. So we try to pepper in some of that stuff, but, you know, you really got to get to the, uh, the drama and the, the plot stuff. Yeah. Well, and I think, time on that. and that's helped uh, with the pacing. I, I'm really proud of the pacing in the book, but um, it, it came because, uh, you know, originally the series is going to be a lot longer. We thought it would be longer, uh, but we're new to comics and you're not even supposed to pitch a series as long as ours to a comic book company. You should do something short, like a mini series or a one shot. Um, because you know, it's just, it's really hard to make it with a long form series. Um, so a lot of that stuff, you know, we still wanted to do the book the way we wanted to do it, but, uh, you know, I had to rethink the pacing on it because I had already plotted it out to be a much longer series. Um, so I had to pare it down and then I wrote out the plot and showed it to Jason and, you know, we just worked on that. Like, here's the beats. I think we can do it in like 15 issues. We may, we might not be able to do 15 issues because maybe we'll get canceled, but you know, this is what I think would work for the book. So a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, got tossed because of that. Um, but also because the book is, the book is really about loss and dealing with loss throughout the whole thing. You know, even in feeding time, you see that um, the characters actually suffer more immediate losses than Nate does in the beginning of the book when he loses his sister uh, and he's lost his parents. So, you know, putting too many gags and things like that kind of gets away from, uh, from that part of it, from a man who's just trying to find his way back to a life that he enjoys, basically. The opening, the opening um, um sorry, Terry. No no no, go ahead, Al. No, 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 go go ahead. You uh Okay, uh, um so you know we've we kind of danced around it. Are we close with spoiling kind of the twist at the end? Of the, the sure. volume? Sure. Spoiler alert. All right. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Stop yeah. listening uh, if uh, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, every 40-something <laughs> minutes in, I think it's a good point of being like, hey, if you're gonna, you want to stop listening, we're, we're cool at 40-something you know, minutes in. Um, so the, the end, for, for those who are interested or, or don't know, uh, the end of the first volume has a twist where it turns out that Nate isn't traveling back to our past, but an alternate world where dinosaurs eventually evolve and, and take over uh, and become the dominant society, and then we we find out that people in this dinosaur world are, are disappearing, 
um, and that they want to figure out who the hell is screwing with their timeline, which is our pseudo hero, Nate. Uh, I don't know if you want to call him a hero, but our, our, our main character, Nate. Um, with that twist, like where did it actually come from and like how did it kind of evolve and, and become like this big part of the series? Because, I mean, I got to the end of that first volume, saw that twist, and I was just like, whoa, this is totally not what I thought it was going to be and, and a great, fun surprise. <laughs> well, thanks. It is a pretty good one, isn't it? Um, you know, I just thought of it. You know, you always have to have consequences to time travel. And um, so I wanted to have something unique in the book. And, you know, it's just me thinking it just came to me one day. You know, uh, I didn't know that that was going to be the twist right away when I first started writing the book. You know, I thought the book was going to be mostly gags and, you know, and dinosaur sandwiches. Um, but when I thought about the structure of the book, uh, as an editor, you know, I think about structure and, you know, what the characters want. All the characters have different beats. You know, all of the plot has different beats. You know, where is it going to go? And it just came to me. I don't remember. It was like a, just a dream or something like that. Um, but that twist came to me. Oh, this is, this is a really good one. Um, but, you know, it's all on how you tell it, you know, how you build up the story. And uh, when I told Jason that twist, I think that's what really sold him on the book, actually, because I pitched him maybe three different books. Um, and we both wanted to do Voracious. And, uh, you know, he liked the idea of the, the chef dinosaurs. Um, but it, I think it was that twist that really uh, sold him on the book. Yeah, Jason, yeah. what was your reaction when you when you first heard it? Uh, I thought it was great. I mean, I was excited about dinosaur sandwiches. But um, yeah, when you get down to it, you know, how, how long can you do a book about dinosaur sandwiches? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I love the twist because, you know, you'll find out in the, in the second miniseries, you know, we have this book about a guy going back in time. And, you know, it kind of just centers around his life and, you know, the, the couple characters that revolve around, you know, that are in orbit of him. But as soon as you introduce the dinosaur society and, and the consequences it's having on them, the book just gets huge, you know, the, the, the scope of the book, for both in the severity of the consequences and just, you know, the environments and the characters and the cast and, and where you can go with the book just grew so much. It, it almost becomes a different book. You know, you have the same characters and they're still reacting to the situations in the same way that they would have in the first miniseries, but their situation is just uh, has grown out of control and it's going to affect all the characters in some way. So it's just a cool element to introduce to, you know, sort of a small town and some very, you know, average, normal characters. Uh, their world's going to get turned upside down by this. Yeah. And it, and it, and it worked perfectly for me with Steve. Um, because Nate, at the beginning of our book, it's been almost a year, you know, that he's getting over his sister. Um, but then now when we switch to this dinosaur realm, uh, Cretaceous City, you have Gus Horncrasher is one of the uh, dinosaur detectives, like the main character in this first issue uh, with his partner, Owen. And he, his wife has disappeared. So his loss is really immediate right there. And um, I loved that. That it was just interesting to me that, oh, wow, this is what my book's really about. You know, it's about loss and how you deal with it and here's Gus who just found out that his wife is gone you know what do you do we've seen how Nate deals with it right not that well you know he uh, he wasn't doing very well he moves back to a town he never wanted to go back to 
Um, he just keeps getting pushed further and further in the past. And he's a, a person that, you know, he just wanted to look forward. You know, he left behind that small time years ago and never wanted to go back. And then all of a sudden he has to go back to that. He has to be faced with the, like the death of his parents, with his sister, you know, he keeps getting pushed back to a, a job where, you know, he didn't want to work that he used to work as a teenager. And then he gets pushed back into the, the Cretaceous, which is, you can't really go much further than that. So um, I wanted to, to carry on that theme and also the theme of voracious, which you'll see as this series goes on um, also works really well with the book, I think. Um, but for Gus having this really immediate loss and eventually, you know, when Nate meets him and the other characters, you know, that's going to make a, make a big difference because they've experienced similar things. And um, so, yeah, it's fun to do. It's, 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 broadened the scope of the book um but it all makes the themes just feel more visceral i think at the same time which is really cool and personal hopefully hopefully people get that and they care about our characters in this new voracious feeding time series yeah i think the book definitely you know we we tried something different if, if, if people have read the first miniseries and they're diving into the second one you're going to realize right away that uh the whole first issue doesn't involve Nate at all. <laughs> um, we're yeah. introducing these new characters in a new world, and we're kind of seeing uh, directly the consequences of Nate's actions um, that's having on their world. You know, uh, right when the, the story picks up, um, I guess a little bit before the end of the last miniseries, and we kind of see uh, the other side of it. You know, it, Nate's uh, been doing this thing. And, you know, for the most part, it's been a, a fun adventure for him. So the second miniseries kind of picks up and shows you, like, uh, it hasn't been an adventure for these other people. Yeah, I mean, innate bad. I think I can get my life back on track. And then all of a sudden, here's this thing that comes along he doesn't even know about yet that's going to just completely turn his world upside down in a way that um, makes everything else pale in comparison. Everything he's been through will pale in comparison to this. And... uh so it's it's really really fun to do. We're really we're scared a little bit about this first issue of Feeding Time because it doesn't have any of the original cast in it. You know, in the second issue we definitely get back to the original cast, but you know, we wanted to kind of make a splash with this book and introduce these characters and make you, you know, give a shit about them uh before we merge the worlds. And um, you know, so hopefully we we accomplish that uh with the issue. I think one of the best ways you were able to do that, um, the beginning of uh, the first series, you had this fantastic monologue um, or narration bit about Nate and his loss that you uh, you reused a bit again further on in the uh, in the issue. Mm-hmm. You open feeding time with a similar kind of feel monologue about Gus, right? And I think right away it, it ties it right back to the first series and. And it takes it right back from the, uh, you know, everything's going great with Nate, but not not so much for poor Gus. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, they were both at uh, bad points, you know, and that dialogue in the very beginning of the first voracious issue, you know, Nate's not in a good place. And, and Gus obviously is not in a good place. And, and more immediately, too, because he doesn't even have much time to get over it. He doesn't know what's going on. 
Um, yeah, I uh, those monologues are going to be in all of the volumes. So, you know, you'll see that again uh, if we get to do the third series. You'll see that again with a different character. So, you know, that was uh, by design. I knew I was going to do that from the beginning. Um, I just kind of liked having that, that one omniscient narrator to give you uh, this insight into the characters before we dive into the, into the book. And um, some of my favorite things to write, actually. I really enjoy writing, writing that. Sad, the, but, but fun. <laughs> With the, the dinosaur world, the thing that, that really stands out to me in that first issue is that, um, you know, it's a, it's a very high tech and different world than what we have, you know, in our human human world, I mean, it could have very easily just been our world, but dinosaurs instead of human beings walking around. You know, was there reasons other than actually like dealing with time travel tech? Is there specific reasons why you kind of chose that like technologically advanced world as opposed to maybe just you know our world with dinosaurs? Well, yeah, it's a couple of reasons. I mean, the main reason is the the fact that they need time travel. I wanted them to have access to time travel so that we could get to things quicker, that they could go back in time and find out what's going on. Um, so I wanted that. We can't do that in our time period now. So I wanted to have that. But I also wanted the threat to be bigger. Um, and also, I just I, Blade Runner is my favorite movie of all time. So I just wanted to see that in the book. I, I don't know how many comics I'm ever going to get to write, but uh, I wanted to see more of like a Blade Runner world with the dinosaurs. Um, and I just thought it would be cool for Jason to draw. I mean, it's a lot of work for Jason to draw because he's got to create that whole world from scratch. Uh, but it's like something completely different. I mean, Jason gets to draw so many different types of things in the book, characters, places, you know, vehicles, everything. So, um, but really the, the two main things was I wanted them to have the ability to time travel and I wanted them to be a threat that was just like well beyond anything that uh, Nate has ever faced, but humans have ever faced. Cool. I don't know, with, Jason, with Jason, I don't know like, if you have thoughts on it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, Jason, do you have inspiration in how you kind of put together? Or? Yeah, the dinosaur world's tricky. You know, um, it's a constant uh, battle when you're trying to figure out how this world works. Well, one, you always want to say to yourself, all right, if these dinosaurs evolved, you know, what of our culture would they have and what don't they have? You know, it could be a completely alien culture, but then it would be hard to relate to them. So, you know, the the two main characters we're going to follow in Dinosaur World are detectives, you know, so that kind of carries over from the human world. So it's a constant uh, thought that, you know, like what would be, what should carry over from the human world and what should be completely different? Um, you know, all the environments have to be just designed from the ground up. I, I tried to think about like, all right, if a dinosaur was building a building, how would they do it? You know, there's, you're going to see in the series, you know, there's, there's different species of these, uh, we call them saurians. They're like the, the humanoid dinosaurs. They're all shapes and sizes. So, all the buildings have to accommodate little dinosaurs and big dinosaurs. All the cars have to accommodate them. You got to think about, you know, do they wear shoes? How do they sit in a chair with those tails? Uh, things like that. <laughs> and then it's also just a matter of thinking of, you know, what's cool. You know, all the, all the little gadgets, all the little tech. Every, every time, you know, 
probably once or twice every issue a, a new gadget's introduced. So we got to think like, what's the coolest way we can depict this gadget? Uh, with the dinosaur city in general, um, you know, I thought uh, the dinosaurs, uh, I picture them being maybe a little bit in, more in tune with nature than we are. So their buildings are all built above the tree line. So, you know, on the ground floor is still grass and water and trees. They didn't pave over that. They kind of built around that stuff and built above it. So their whole society is made up of bridges and flying cars and they're it, it, it has still like a, a prehistoric feel to the world, but then also futuristic. Yeah. And I leave a lot of that up to, to Jason, you know, except for some of the main characters in the book, I had specific ideas for those characters, but um, I just love the way Jason interpreted what I wrote. Like a uh, Bronson's one of my favorite characters. He's drawn long neck, and got neck balls that hang down. It's just fantastic. I love it. <laughs> I love how vibrant the um, the, di- the futuristic dinosaur world is too. It's uh, so much more enticing than than our world too. <laughs> <laughs> you want to live there, do you, Alex? I kind of do. I kind of <laughs> do. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'd yeah, live there I too. Mean... Jason put a lot into it. I mean, we both put a lot into it, like creating the worlds. And I think that's the benefit of having this close collaboration because Jason and I get to talk about everything. We're really invested in the series, you know, and, and, and making the worlds and the characters um, as interesting and um, as possible. And um, I, I think it just comes from just talking about it over and over and, and working it out before we even commit it to paper. With the, you know, when when actually designing the the dinosaur world, I mean, you kind of talked about you're thinking through doing, you think through doorways and how these buildings would be, and even down to like what buttons would be. You know, have you thought through also like how they would just evolve in general? Like it's you know clearly millions of years later, their their maybe evolution would be slightly different than humans. Like is that kind of going through your your thought process too in creating this world? Uh, I. Oh, go ahead, Jason. Well, you can, I, speaking visually, you know, I did think about that. I thought, you know, would these species retain certain characteristics? You know, does a, does a, a dinosaur of an advanced dinosaur need the claws if they're not hunting anymore? You know, do they need these horns? Would they kind of, you know, the same way we evolved from apes and we're less hairy, would they be less dinosaurish? But then on the flip side, uh, we wanted cool-looking dinosaurs. You know what I mean? <laughs> Marcel always envisioned the main detective to be a giant triceratops, just a, a super, like a refrigerator of a triceratops, a massive dude. So you know, you gotta you gotta play with that stuff. And I said I want him to be like Marv from Sin City, but a triceratops. That's <laughs> what yeah. I basically told him. So yes, I do think about that. You know, like why why would this dino? Why would Bronson, one of the scientists in our book, still have that long neck? That that would just be a pain in the ass. Wouldn't that have evolved out of that species? But then at the same time, he just looks cool, you know? But uh, that's a specific character that when I'm drawing him, uh, he can't have conversations with the other characters because he's above them. He always has to be craning his neck, which i got to just imagine is, is just hell. <laughs> it looks so cool on the He's panel. always looking down at everybody. <laughs> 
Yeah, and Owen is an Archaeopteryx, which is like my favorite prehistoric creature. So I wanted to have him in there, and I've never seen one. Well, I've never seen a Archaeopteryx in any comic, let alone a humanoid Archaeopteryx. So uh, uh, that, that I really wanted. But as far as um, evolving, you know, I think about it a little bit, but it doesn't really come into play into the comic book, like how they evolve is similar to humans where you have the different stages of evolution. You know, they're going to have different types of uh, creatures that eventually get to the Saurians. Um, and maybe there's even a step past where we are uh, to get to the Saurians because they are a lot more advanced um, than us. But I also, you know, I wanted their world to be very familiar, you know? So even though they have all this advanced technology, the way they talk, there's not a lot of like, other weird language. I think I have one word in there. Uh, tarm, which means T-Rex arm, which I thought was pretty cool as an insult because <laughs> they're so tiny. Um, <laughs> but, other, but other than that, uh, which we've done, I think we've done that T-Rex arm joke twice because there's that part where they, <laughs> they take out the T-Rex and Jim's like, maybe we should take the arms. And it's like, all right, might as well. He's not doing anything with them. Um, but uh so, yeah, so I don't think about the evolution that much. Uh, just like Jason said, the cool visuals. And, um, you know, maybe one day we could talk about that. I don't think it's going to come up in the series, but, but yeah, uh, we didn't go that far. Yeah. Do we have a lot of thoughts about yeah. I'm sorry, what? I was, yeah. Is there any plans for a uh, T-Rex, the evolved T-Rex to appear in the future, or can you not really say that? Evolved T-Rex. Um, I'm trying to think if we've done it or not yet. Uh, you're um, going to see you know, some other... I think in the, in the cops, in the, uh, in the police precinct, there's some T-Rexes. I think there's a, a T-Rex wanted for murder in, one of the, in the background. Mm-hmm. That was another thing I was thinking of, you know, when I... Uh, if we do ever encounter a T-Rex, an advanced T-Rex, does he got little arms or does he got big arms? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, they're not a main character. There isn't, there's not going to be a main character T-Rex. Uh, Jason is talking about in that, in that panel. Um, I kind of had my statement on T-Rex in uh, the first volume where we killed him in like one panel. <laughs> <laughs> that's like my I don't understand Jurassic Park uh, uh, panel because uh, it would be pretty easy to take out the dinosaurs I think if you just had enough planning plus T-Rex didn't live in the Jurassic period <laughs> have you guys thought about doing a, a spinoff series of just the dinosaur world I have I, I have thought of lots <laughs> of spinoff series <laughs> but you know <laughs> that's if our the dinosaur is, world survives and you don't know it's yeah you know true. you don't Good know point. yes of course it could be set in the past too yeah but um yeah i mean we're concentrating on trying to finish the book because we are a little book i mean we're published by action lab which is a great publisher lots of diverse books that are coming out from them um that people should check out yeah i feel like so many good. Um, I love Cyrus Perkins and the Haunted Taxi Cab. Um, you know, there's just so many good books that are coming out from the you don't get from any other publisher. Um, but they're small, right? They're, they've only been around five years. And um, 
so we're lucky that we're getting a, a second series. I mean, we did well with the first one, and now we have a second one. We, we hope to finish the third one. And then, um, you know, it's possible we could do a spinoff um, unless Jason gets really famous and starts working for, like, Marvel and DC and stuff like that. But we'd probably do a different series or um, just work on different projects before we ever came back to that. Um, but um, I definitely have ideas for other things um, after the third volume, but um, just hoping that we get to do that. That one would be called uh, uh, Voracious Appetite for Destruction. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put in my plug for uh, Law and Order uh, Cretaceous Period or whatever. Um, <laughs> just the idea of dinosaur cops running around is just too entertaining to me. Um <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I would do it noir style too. I I would love to do a noir book. With oh them. yeah. So that would be awesome. Like I could just see like chasing down like a T Rex who's trying to run away but can't because of his arms, or whatever, tackling him. And that would be amazing. You can have my money now if you do that. Yeah, a lot of stories, yeah, exactly. a lot of comedy could be had in that book. That's true. Amazing. Um. So we've had you guys on for an hour. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, you know, I'm, sh- I'm sure you've got a lot to work on uh, to make sure your comments get out. So yeah, don't want to take up too much time. Uh, as we wrap down the sh- wrap up the show, I always like to um, give it to our guests for them to throw out plugs where people can find them and you know buy their comics and all that stuff. So uh, I guess Jason will go with you first. So if you want to plug like website, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, and of course the Let's comic. See, uh, my website's just jasonmuir.com, J-A-S-O-N-M-U-H-R, um, Jason Muir on Twitter. Uh, those are pretty much the main places you'll find me. I, I post art on Twitter all the time, and then I also post it on my blog. Um, Voracious Feeding Time number one just came out last week. Uh, you can pick it up wherever you buy your comics or on Comicsology. Um I have a Marvel project coming out on uh, December 14th. Yes, this week. Um, I I did some work on a Marvel Infinity comic called Doctor Strange Punisher Magic Bullets. Uh, People aren't familiar with the Infinity comic format. It's designed for the iPad. And uh, you kind of click through the panels. You know, Um, it's not guided view. It's the pages kind of come up. And as you click, the panels populate the page and you can kind of uh, do fun things with that that you can't do in a, in a print comic in terms of, you know, panels, overlapping panels, replacing panels, you know, just, just one part of the panel moving or changing and the other parts staying the same. So um, I worked on the layout for that book. You know, I kind of did essentially the storyboards for that and I collaborated with another artist. So uh, that book's coming out this week and I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, cool. And I mean, you can find me uh, on Twitter. I'm uh, at Darth Son, and uh, my website's marcasan.com, M-A-R-K-I-S-A-N. And um, you know, we have voracious sites. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. It's at Voracious Comic. Uh, it's all we also have a Facebook page. It's Voracious Comic there too as well. So um, we post a lot on there about n- new things. We've given a preview of some of the upcoming variant covers, and uh, we put art up there. And uh, we'll answer any questions that people have as well. We have a 100% rating on that. So if you have any questions, you can send it to us. <laughs> yeah, um, and they also list all our uh, signings and con appearances as well. Yeah, which we've got a lot coming up for uh, 2017, including San Diego Comic-Con. 
So, um, you know, you can catch us on the road. And, um, yeah, voracious feeding time, like Jason said, is out now. The first two, five issues. So, you know, go to your local comic shop and uh, check it out. Cool. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on, and um, and uh, thanks so much. You've been great to the site, and, um, you know, can't wait for the to read the next issue. Yeah, you guys have been great with us. I mean, we really appreciate all the coverage, uh, Alex, especially, you know, all the write-ups uh, on Voracious, and uh, we're really glad you guys found the book and are enjoying it, and, uh, you know, hope to get to do this again sometime. Yeah, definitely. Much, much appreciated. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank, yeah, thank you. you. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye. Um, all right. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Uh, Alex, I mean, do you, thank you for, for co-hosting and uh, guest hosting uh, the episode. I and mean, do you want to plug how people can find you, maybe like on Twitter or something? Yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Carcosa, K-A-R-C-O-S-S-A, and obviously every day at graphicpolicy.com as well. Cool. Uh, so yeah, so folks who want to catch more Voracious or other comic news, you can go find us at graphicpolicy.com. We've got news uh, going every single day and pretty much hour on the hour, something new. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy, keeping it nice and consistent. So until next time, thanks for listening. This episode will be up on iTunes and Stitcher probably in about an hour or two. And then tomorrow it will be up on SoundCloud and posted on the site so you can listen to it again or share it with your friends. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, keep it geeky.